Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the world. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Lesson from the Epistles, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be with the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, we begin this morning speaking more directly to our children among us. And kids, I'd like to ask you if you're familiar or if you know who any of these people are. Logan Mankins. Logan Mankins, anybody? Sebastian Vollmer? Nobody's ever heard of Sebastian Vollmer? Matt Light. Matt Light, Dan Coppin, Joe Andruzzi, Nick Kaxer? Brian Waters, Stephen Neal, Nate Solder. Does anybody know who these people are? No. All right, what about this person? Tom Brady. Has anybody ever heard of Tom Brady? Who is Tom Brady? Professional football player, recently retired, perhaps, finally, for the last time. But all those names I read have... A relationship to Tom Brady. Can anybody guess what it is? Offensive lineman. Every single one of the people that I named before Tom Brady were all offensive linemen in football for Tom Brady when he went won six championships with the New England Patriots. Now, why do all of us know Tom Brady? 
but none of us, or very few of us, know guys like Logan Mankin, Sebastian Vollmer, and Matt Light. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You see, Tom Brady, actually, the one who's protected by these linemen, he knows how important these linemen are. Listen how Tom Brady describes his linemen. I've played behind those guys for a long time, and nobody has more confidence in those guys than me. Standing back there in the pocket, holding the football, I have so much confidence in those guys and what they're able to do in the way that they work together, the way that they communicate, their mental toughness. They're a bunch of tough guys, and they take a lot of pride in what they do. So there's nobody more confident than me in that group. See, Tom Brady recognizes that if the offensive linemen do their job, then he's freed up to do his job because he trusts the offensive linemen, and he's confident that they're going to do their job. See, offensive linemen in the NFL are rarely in the limelight. Nobody collects the cards of offensive linemen. Many of us don't even know their names. Yet anyone who knows anything about football recognizes how important they are to team success. Yes, an elite quarterback like Tom Brady is the single most significant factor to winning football games. But elite quarterbacks know that they need an offensive lineman in order to protect them. And the reason I say all that is this morning we're talking about deacons. And deacons are the offensive linemen of the church. One pastor puts it this way. He says, Biblical deacons, they're like congregation's offensive linemen whose job is to protect the quarterback. They rarely get the attention, much less credit, but their labors are utterly indispensable for both guarding and advancing the ministry of the word. Without effective deacons, elders will suffer from incessant distraction and get sacked by an onrush of practical demands. So kids, that's what I want you to... We're going to be talking about deacons this morning. If you know anything about football, the offensive linemen are the really big guys protecting the quarterback. And that's what deacons are called to do in the life of the church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So please pray with me as we go into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to open the eyes of our minds and our hearts to embrace the truth of your word and your design for how churches should operate. We thank you for the gift of deacons, for the office that that you have called for servants of your church. I pray that you would stir within the hearts of some this morning to aspire to be deacons. And I pray that you'd also give all of us here this morning a vision of what it means to be a servant in your church, regardless of whether or not we hold the title of deacon. It's to that end, I pray, and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so this morning is going to be the last of our sermon series that we've done on our uh, new bylaws that we've recently written. And I've said that there's three principles that are guiding the revision of our bylaws. Number one, church membership. Number two, church discipline and discipleship. And lastly, biblical leadership. And when I say biblical leadership, what I'm talking about is our church is transitioning from a church that's led by a council of individuals to a church that's led by a group of elders and a group of deacons. And the important thing is that we are clear about what is the relationship and the differences in the roles between elders and deacons. One way to put it is that our church is supported by deacons, in order that the elders might devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. 
The elders, or the deacons are there to support the elders so that the elders can do what they're called to do. And we see that in Acts chapter 6. And so we're going to look more closely at these two passages that I've selected, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in order to look at three things about deacons in the church. And they all start with R, so hopefully it's a little easier to remember. First, we're going to talk about the role of deacons. Secondly, the requirements of deacons. And lastly, the reward of deacons. Role, requirements, reward. So first of all, the role of deacons. Uh, what you might find kind of surprising is that the, the Bible actually doesn't talk that much about the church office of deacons. And the main place that people go to is this passage in Acts chapter 6 to discuss what is the role of deacons. On a broad level, deacons serve the physical and financial needs of the church so that elders can serve the spiritual needs of word and prayer. Deacons serve physical and uh, financial needs so that elders can serve the word and prayer. The best way to understand this story from Acts chapter 6 is to view the 12 apostles as kind of like proto-elders or the first elders, and then the seven men that they set apart as the church's first deacons. So in the story, the apostles are like elders in the church, and the people set apart to serve table are like deacons. So let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now the important thing to note in this situation is there's two distinct groups of people in the church, early church in Jerusalem. This is very shortly after Jesus has been resurrected, ascended into heaven. The Spirit has come down. The church is growing. And the Bible tells us there's two groups. The Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jewish people. And the Hebrews are Aramaic-speaking Jewish people. So even though these two groups of people, they share uh, a cultural and religious heritage as ethnic Jews, they speak completely different languages. Greek and Aramaic are completely different. And so you can understand that if you're a part of a church where everybody on the right side spoke one language, everybody on the other side spoke a different language, how often do you think these two peoples would interact? It would be a challenge. Our natural tendency would be just to spend time with and favor those people who speak the same language. And this had led to a problem in which one group of people, the Greek-speaking widows, were being neglected in the church. And so what is the apostle's solution to this divisive and potentially explosive issue? Because you should know, at, the, at this time, the early church is very fragile, humanly speaking. It's very tenuous. An issue like this could completely divide the church. And so what do the apostles do? They appoint deacons. Deacons are there to serve the physical and financial needs of the church in order to preserve the unity of the church. It says this, verse 2, as we continue, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and this is what the apostles said. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, one thing I need to note, this word serve is the word that we translate as deacon. So what they're basically saying is, we shouldn't give up preaching God's word in order to deacon tables. Now, this might sound a little harsh to us, as if the apostles are saying, you know what, preaching the, go- preaching the gospel, that's what's important. And we can't be bothered with something like waiting on tables. But that's not what they're trying to say. What they're saying is, it's not right, meaning that 
the apostles or the elders, they have a specific responsibility in the church. It's to preach the gospel, to be devoted to the word of God and prayer. And that this important issue of equity and equal distribution of the food in the church, not neglecting one group in favor of another, this very important issue and similar issues that might arise in the future, if they spend their time doing that, then it'll prevent them from focusing on what God has called them to do as elders in the church. There's also a bit of wordplay that suggests inequality in the work of the apostles and the deacons. So the word that's translated, as I said, to serve tables, that's the word deacon. If you look at verse 1, the word that's translated distribution, like the daily distribution, that's also the word deacon. It's the daily deaconing. In verse 4, when it says the ministry of the word in God in prayer, what the apostles themselves are to devote themselves, that word ministry is the same word. It's kind of, it's hard to see in the English language because it's covered over, but in the, in the Greek original, all those words are deacon. So what's going on is, in Acts, there's a requirement for deaconing in the church, a requirement for service. And the apostles say, we are going to deacon the word, we're going to serve the word of God, And these individuals, then, are going to serve the tables. In other words, everything in the church, everything in God's church is service. Everything is deaconing. It's just that some people, like the elders, are set apart for deaconing the word of God in prayer. And others, these deacons, are set apart for things like physical and financial needs of the church. Another way that we see that they're equal in importance is that Luke presents the story in such a way that highlights the importance of deacons. What I mean by that is, if we look at the very beginning, verse 1, it says the early church is growing. The number of disciples is increasing, but that growth is threatened so that these deacons are chosen, they address the issue, and even though we're not specifically told what exactly they do, in verse 7, which is not printed there, but I'll read it for us, in the very next verse, it's clear that whatever they did was successful. Because Luke goes on to say in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the elders said, we're going to focus on the word of God in prayer. We need your help, these individuals, to set aside so that they can take care of this issue in the church. And right after that, right after they take care of the issues, it says the word of God increased, meaning the elders were able to fulfill their calling because of what the, el- the deacons did. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The takeaway for us is that deacons are important. Deacons are necessary to do whatever it takes, in this case to serve tables and oversee administration of food distribution to widows, but really whatever it takes. Deacons do whatever it takes to further the work and mission of the church, which is to make disciples. Elders aren't more important than deacons. Deacons are equally important. They just have a different role than elders. They serve the physical, financial needs of the church. And they do this in order to support the elders and free them up to focus on service to the word and prayer. Verse 3 says this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry or to the deaconing of the word. So you see, I don't know if you have different church backgrounds, but a lot of times churches will have deacons. And sometimes these deacons will function almost like a second council or a second group of elders. But that's really not how the Bible presents them. 
deacons are not like a check and balance on the power or authority of the elders. You know, like how we have three branches of the U.S. government, kids, what are they? One individual in the very front nose on the tip of her tongue, they are executive, judicial, legislative. And what is the purpose of having these three different branches? Is to balance the power. They're all, in theory, supposed to have equal amounts of powers so that no one group is able to assert control and authority over all of the decisions in our country. But a church isn't like that. The elders are not one body checked by the deacons. The deacons serve to support the elders, both fulfilling their roles in the ministry of the church for the common goal of the mission and work of the church to make disciples. Remember, deacons are the offensive linemen of the church protecting the elders, enabling them to do that which they're called to do as elders. So that's the role of deacons. Deacons serve the physical and financial needs of the church in order to support the elders. What then are the requirements of deacons? And for that, we go to our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. It's printed out in your bulletins. I'll read it again. Deacons, likewise, verse 8, must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. As we look at these first four verses, I think the most important word in this entire description of the requirements for deacons is the word likewise. Likewise, meaning in the same way. The question is, in the same way as what? What are the deacons being compared to? And this list of requirements for the qualifications of deacons comes directly after Paul's list of requirements for elders. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, the same requirements that are for elders are the same requirements for deacons. If you compare the two lists, you'll see that there's a lot of overlap. I'll point some of them out. It says an elder must be above reproach. It says deacons must be dignified. An elder must be self-controlled. Deacons must not be double-tongued. An elder must not be a drunkard. Deacons must not be addicted to much wine. An elder must not be a lover of money. Deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. An elder must be the husband of one wife, manage his own household well. And this is the exact same thing. Deacons must be the husband of one wife and manage his house well. It's all the same. What this tells us is that the requirements for being an elder are not any higher than the requirements for being a deacon. The roles of elders and deacons may be different, but the requirements are the same. So different roles, same requirements. Deacons are not second-rate leaders in the church. They're not the ones who are like good, but not quite good enough to be an elder. That's not what a deacon is. You see, if we go back to the passage in Acts chapter 6, one of the seven deacons that's chosen in that early church is a man by the name of Stephen. And we read about Stephen in the rest of chapter 6 and in chapter 7, if you're familiar with Stephen at all, you would never say that this person was not qualified to be an elder. 
Acts chapter 6, verse 8 describes him in this way. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among all the people. Verse 15, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. And then Acts chapter 7 records the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr. Stephen ultimately gives his life for his faith. And why do they martyr Stephen? Because he preaches the gospel. Acts chapter 7 is this amazing, brilliant recounting of the history of ancient Israel and the terrible irony that the people that Jesus came to save are the very ones that crucified him. And then it says in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60, at the very end of this sermon, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, he saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do you think that this man is qualified to be an elder in a church? Wouldn't you want a man like Stephen, an elder of our church, willing to give his entire life, literally his life, for the sake of Christ? Those are the kind of people we want leading our church. Yeah, what is Stephen? He's not an elder. He's a deacon. Selected to serve tables. Why? Not because he was particularly gifted in serving tables, but because he was a man of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. No doubt qualified to serve as an elder, but selected and chosen to serve as a deacon. The role of a deacon is not a stepping stone or rung on advancing on the church ladder on the way to becoming an elder. We don't say, okay, we're thinking about making you an elder, but we'll try you off as a deacon first, and if, you're, if you do well in that, maybe you can become an elder. That's not what the position is. A church is healthiest when deacons are held to the same high standard that elders are. And I love the way one pastor puts it when talking about the deacons in Acts chapter 6. He says this, the congregation chose its best in order to serve its least. The congregation chose its best people in order to serve the least of among them. Those are the requirements of an elder. And lastly, we'll speak of the reward of deacons. And this is my favorite part. Because the requirements of, the character requirements for an elder and deacons are the same, right? I read them all. They sound exactly the same. But there's one difference in the passage. At the very end of the list of requirements for elders, Paul doesn't give any reward. But he gives a reward for deacons. He says this in verse 13. What is this reward that Paul, the apostle, holds out for deacons specifically? Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It says, if you serve well as a deacon, what do you get? You get a good standing for yourself and you get confidence in your faith in Christ. Now, we always have to remember 
our ultimate standing before God is not based on anything that we do. Any service that we offer to him or to the church. That would go against the clear biblical principle on which our church stands in our statement of faith. That salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone. We're saved by the finished work of Christ. His life and death and resurrection is the basis on which we stand before God. But it's also true that salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, is always accompanied and confirmed by good works. And if we understand the church as the primary context of our Christian discipleship, the church is where we primarily follow Jesus and live out his commands, then it makes sense that the confirmation of your salvation will come as you serve the church. So there's two reasons I think that we see why, how does serving faithfully as a deacon help one to gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence of the faith that's in Christ Jesus. First of all, if you serve well as a deacon, the church confirms that you are a Christian example to be followed. As a deacon, the church is confirming that you are an example for other Christians to follow. Notice that in, the past, in our passage in Acts chapter 6, the apostles acknowledge that the church and not they themselves have the responsibility of selecting its own deacons. Did you see that? The church, not the apostles, are the ones who select the deacons. In verse 2, it says the 12, that is the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples, meaning they gathered the whole church together. Then in verse 3, the apostles commanded that full number to pick out deacons from among them. So they said, get the whole church together, and from among you, select people to serve as deacons. Then in verse 5, we are told that the apostles' plan pleased the whole gathering. And then they, that is the whole gathering, the church, selected the deacons and presented them before the apostles. You see, one who serves well as a deacon gains a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith because he or she confirms the choice that the congregation made in appointing them as a deacon. It works like, have you, have you ever had somebody believe in you? Believe in you that you're capable of doing something even when you yourself didn't believe it? I've experienced that in my own life. I would say part of the reason I'm standing before you all today is that there were a group of men who believed in me. Now, many of you might know, know this, but this is my first pastorate, first time ever serving as a pastor in this church, started January of 2022. But a few months before, and I'm actually not formally ordained by any sort of like um, denomination or anything like that. Never had like a formal service of ordination. But on August 25th, 2021, there was a group of men who came to our house, some of whom are here this morning, and they told me, we want you to be our pastor. We see something in you that desires us, or that creates in us a desire for you to lead us, for you to be a pastor. And do you know how encouraging and empowering that is to have people speak like that into your life? I hope you've had an experience like that because it gave me tremendous confidence in my faith and the difficult work that was set before us. And what Paul is saying is 
That's true of deacons. You being elevated as a deacon is like the whole entire church getting together and saying, we believe in you. We trust in you. You live an exemplary life. You're someone that we would point to, to anybody on the street or a new Christian and say, if you want to know what a Christian is like, look at that person. They're the best of us. And we are calling the best of us to serve even the least of us. Because that's what it's like in the kingdom of God and in his church. When a group of Christians selects you as an exemplary life of Christ's likeness and service, then it gives you great confidence in the faith and it increases your desire to continue serving the church and growing in him. Secondly, when you serve as a deacon faithfully, then you experience a deeper intimate connection with Christ. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the supreme deacon of all. Right? Usually we hear the word, he's the servant of all, but that word servant, it's the word deacon. Jesus Christ is the supreme deacon of all. And when in following him, you serve in the way that he does, then you experience the fullness of the Christian life in a different way. Deacons, more so perhaps than any other defined group in our church, they're the ones who've embraced Jesus' call to take up one's cross and follow him. Deacons' explicitly stated mission is service. It's built into the very word itself. If you're a deacon, you're a server. To give, them, to give of themselves for the greater good of the church body. Is there any clear representation of Christ's call to all of us that those who seek to become the greatest must become the deacon or servant of all? I think it's wonderful that this series fell right in the middle of our series on the Gospel of Mark and right at chapter 10. And I've been reading it the past few weeks because it's so important because it really provides the foundational perspective of how we're to live together, one, together with one another in the church. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Think about these verses as we consider what biblical leadership elders and deacons looks like. Jesus called to them and he said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It's not what leadership is like in the kingdom of God. It's not how Christ does leadership. Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, many people struggle with this idea of assurance of salvation. Maybe you struggle with it as well sometimes. How do I really know I'm a Christian? Have you ever wondered that? How can I be sure that I'm saved? Is it really just as easy as believing Jesus, saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins? How, how do I know if my belief's real? How do I know if this isn't just something that's been taught by my parents or the way that I grew up? How do I know if my belief is enough? Christian, do you want to be assured of your right standing before God? Do you want to be confident in the faith that is in Jesus Christ? That assurance, that confidence, it's not an abstract feeling to pursue. 
It's not just some like, you know, mystical idea that God loves me and God accepts me. Paul makes it very clear. He makes it real and tangible. He said, if you want to be assured of your salvation, resolve to embody the qualities listed, given here for deacons, and then serve faithfully as a deacon in the church. That's the reward of being a deacon. Confidence in your faith. Assurance of your salvation. So those are the roles. Those are the requirements, and that's the reward. The role, deacons are to serve the physical and financial needs of the church in order to free up the elders to serve the word of God in prayer. The requirements are the same as the elders. There's not a different hierarchy of requirements. The same high standards that we would hold an elder in our church are the same ones for a deacon. And the reward is great. The reward is confidence in your faith, communion and connection with Christ. And I'm praying that the Lord will indeed raise up many deacons among us who will serve this church and in doing so receive great confidence in their faith. But as I said last week, not all of us will be called to be elders. In the same way, not all of us will be called to be deacons. But even if you are not a deacon in the church, there's two very important passages in the New Testament that speak of the responsibilities of all members of the church. That's what I want to share with you this morning. I'd like you to meditate on it it throughout this week. The first is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. It says this, Paul wrote, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, i.e., he gave the leaders of the church. Why? To equip the saints, that is everybody, for the work of ministry. And it should not surprise us that this is the same word that is used for deacons. What he's saying is, God gave all the leaders of the church to equip everybody in the church for the work of deaconing. Meaning, even if you're not a deacon, your responsibility is to deacon, to serve within the church. Along those same lines, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10-11, through 11, as each has received the gift, use it to serve deacon, one another. As stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So even if you're not a deacon in the church, it's still incumbent upon you, expected as a church member, for you to be deaconing in the church. Because every single one of us are called to use the gifts that God gives us to serve and love one another by the strength that God supplies for the building up of his church to his ultimate glory. You may have heard that God gives everyone spiritual gifts. Have you heard of that term before, spiritual gifts? Does everybody know what their spiritual gift is? Does anybody know what their spiritual gift is? Can you say with confidence, this is the spiritual gift that God has given me to build up his church? I would guess no. Not all, maybe some of us, and that's great if we do. If, you know, if God gives you the gift of encouragement, you should be using that all the time for his glory. But I think for most of us, we're not confident about that. Maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. There's spiritual gift surveys out there. Answer a 100-question questionnaire. 
You can figure out what your spiritual gift is. I'm here to say it's okay if you cannot say specifically what your spiritual gift is. Because you don't need to take a survey to find out where you should serve the church. Instead, serve the church wherever it needs. And God will provide you the gift that you need and the grace and the strength in order to deacon, to do whatever is necessary to build up the body of Christ. You know, I think of Russell and Madeline. They're not here this morning. Um, And them not being here, Russell in particularly, I felt that very big difference because he does so much behind the scenes. He does so much deaconing, even though he's not a deacon of our church, in order to serve us. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but a couple months ago, Russell and Madeline told me that they wanted to babysit all the kids of our church together on one night. I swear, I did not ask them to do this. This was their initiative because they wanted to deacon us. They wanted to serve us. They offered a physical need that promoted unity in the church by building up relationships in the body of Christ. That's an example of deaconing without having the formal title of deacon. Other examples might include things like assisting with Sunday morning child care. Thank you, Meg. Picking up donuts, preparing coffee. What Glenn does for us every Sunday and preparing communion and running the soundboard. And if all of those things kind of sound normal and mundane, that's the point. The role of deacon is exemplified by a great willingness to do whatever is necessary to support the elders and to build up the church. And sometimes that includes things like serving tables. Stephen did it. We can too. A deacon-like spirit anticipates and meets needs. All of us should be continually considering how our church can further our mission to live, share, and enjoy the grace and truth of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood, city, and beyond. Hey, Daniel, what about making sure that visitors are better welcomed into our church? And you figure out how to do that. That's you deaconing. There's a particular need that I've found out that we have in our neighborhood. How can we as a church mobilize to meet that need? That's an example of deaconing. Do you see how even though there are some that we recognize publicly and call out and separate as deacons, that still all of us are called to do the deaconing work of the church? And in considering the work of deacons, I just ask, don't you want that confidence in the faith? If so, look for ways to serve. Be proactive in anticipating the needs of the church and do what you can to meet them. God promises to supply the gifts and strength necessary to do whatever task he has called you to. And Lord willing, one day the church may even recognize you and formally elevate you to the role of deacon, a role that you will have already been doing all along because you have the character and proven capacity to be an example of service to the church. So again, I'm going to end with the reward because it is such an amazing reward that God holds out for the deacons among us. For those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have designed your local churches, your embassies of the kingdom of Christ to be led by elders and deacons. And we do so humbly ask that you would raise up for our church faithful men and women to serve as elders and deacons, to be model examples of Christ-likeness, to not be perfect, but to be exemplary, to serve us well, stir within the hearts of those present among us to want to be the greatest by becoming the least, by being willing to do whatever is necessary to further the mission of the church in making disciples both here as well as all throughout the world. I pray especially for those of us who are you're not calling to be elders and deacons, but still calling to do the work of deaconing throughout our church, our neighborhoods and communities, and our city. God, I pray that you would particularly encourage those who don't think that they can do it, who don't think they have the capacity the maturity, the time, the resources. Help to give them a vision of how they might use the gifts that you have given them, how they might cultivate even new gifts in, order, in service to you. And I pray that as all of us seek to do this work of deaconing among one another and towards those outside the church, that you would indeed give us that reward. God, we want a right standing before you. We want confidence in our faith. We want to stand before you and for you to say before us, well done, good and faithful servants, good and faithful deacons. May we seek to be poured out in the life of the church because Christ has poured himself completely for us, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do so. And may we do so always for the glory of Christ and the honor of his name. In his name we pray, amen.